Hello, church, and welcome to the FUMC Borough Podcast. This week, Reverend Drew Shelley is bringing us a sermon entitled The Not-So-Fine Print. This is our fifth and final week of our Lenten series, On the Way to the Cross, Living a Cross-Shaped Life, and he's preaching out of Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. We appreciate you joining us here on the podcast. We would also love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 8.30 for Modern Worship and 10.30 a.m. for Traditional Worship. We have both virtual and in-person options, and uh, we'd invite you to head on over to fumcm.org for more information about our safety protocols for joining us in person. We are so glad that you have chosen to be in ministry here with us at First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro, and we pray that we can all live into our mission of growing disciples of Jesus Christ who know Him, love Him, and serve Him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. I want to say welcome to First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro, whether you're here with us in the Family Life Center or with us online at home or at work. My name's Drew Shelley. I'm one of the pastors here, and if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to have that chance today before, uh, before we leave and to, to begin to get to know one another as we share life and faith together in so many different ways. As we gather uh, around the Word we like to think about why we're here. We do this every Sunday, and we remember, first of all, that we're here to grow disciples of who? To grow disciples of Jesus Christ, to know Him, love Him, and serve Him for the what? For the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. That's right, and we we do that in a lot of different ways, but we've tried to actually put down on paper what we mean when we say that. And so, if you have your way of a disciple card, I'd invite you to get that thing out I am enjoying the newer, thinner way of a disciple card. It fits better behind my visa here in my wallet, so it's easier to get out. If you don't have one of these newer ones, you can get one today. They're the same content, just a little different material. Uh, On the front, it says, Join us in helping Jesus love the world back to life one heart at a time. Uh, That phrase has always uh, stuck with me from the first time I ever heard it. Can you imagine the thought that God would invite us into helping Jesus love the world back to life one heart at a time. But that's exactly the call of the gospel, isn't it? That's exactly the call that is on our lives, all of our lives as followers of Jesus. It's not just about me and Jesus or you and Jesus. It is about us and Jesus together and the redemption of the whole world and our being a part of that. And so we dig deeply into that around here. We think a lot about it and we talk about it. We're going to talk about it some today in Luke chapter 14. This work is beautiful and exciting, but it's also very hard and challenging. And we want to be honest about that as we dig into it together. Will you pray with me before we turn to Luke 14? Oh God, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your word. We pray now for your Holy Spirit to move in a fresh and powerful way as we try to hear from you in this place. Lord, the words you say to us are challenging for sure. Give us courage to hear. Give us boldness to act. Give us the strength to live differently 
because of what we hear you say to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're in Luke 14 today, verses 25 to 33. Let's hear the word of God together. Now, large crowds were traveling with him, with Jesus, and Jesus turned and said to them, whoever comes to me and does not hate, hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all will see it and will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If he cannot then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So, therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. This is the word of God for the people of God, and so we say, Thanks be to God. Mm. It's a tough word this morning. Jesus offers us a tough word. One of the most interesting things that I have discovered about uh, being a pastor is getting to talk with folks about all sorts of complicated situations while trying to see how God might be at work in those complicated situations. God is always at work. It's just really hard to see God at work sometimes, and I get to help with that. One conversation that I've had with myself and so many others over the years is what I call the big rocks, little rocks talk. Here's the scene almost every time as this begins to unfold. A middle-aged professional person schedules an appointment Can't with me, cancels it twice, and shows up late to the third scheduling of that appointment. <laughs> it happens every time. Uh, I don't get mad, though. I know exactly what's going on when this little pattern shows up. They do finally come in, and they begin to just dump everything out. I, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm working so hard, 60, 70, 80 hours a week, no end in sight, trying to raise a family, trying to pay my bills. My parents need help now. My marriage is falling apart, or we've already filed for divorce. You never know where that's going to shake out. Everybody in my house is stressed out and exhausted, and I feel like it is all my fault. And then you, preacher, make me feel guilty because I can't be up here doing church stuff all the time. That just is terrible. I wish you'd quit making me feel guilty about that. I don't know what to do. And, and preacher, finally, finally, preacher, don't dare tell me to pray about it. I've already been doing that. I've been praying about it on and on and on forever. I say, whoa, that's a whole lot. Let's, let's catch our breath. If we can't pray, I guess we'll just go out and get you a red convertible. It's supposed to be summer vacation every time you get in that thing. If we can't pray, we'll just do that. You can enjoy it, especially when you're driving home from work in the dark. That's not what I really say. That's what I want to say most of the time, but that's not what I really say. No, I, I usually give them the same talk that a friend of mine has to give me once every six months. It is the big rocks, little rocks talk. You've probably heard it. 
You've got these two jars. You know about the two jars. One, uh, well, there's the same amount of stuff that goes in both jars, but one is already full, and all the big rocks are just spilling over onto the table around the jar that's already full. You've seen this before, haven't you? It's a Stephen Covey thing, I believe. That's one jar, and then there's this other jar that's, there's this other jar that's full, uh, but not quite full. Everything is in there, and it just works. The one that's overflowing, all the big rocks are outside the jar and won't fit because we put all the little stuff in the jar first. And then faith, family, friends, health, personal finances, all those things, all that stuff, it's sitting outside the jar of life. There is no room for that stuff. In the other jar, everything fits perfectly. There's even a little room at the top, a little breathing room. What did they do differently? It must be a trick, some kind of magic. There's a false bottom in one of those jars. No, that's not it at all. They just put the big rocks in first, right? We know how this goes. They put the big rocks in first, the little stuff filled in the gaps, and it all fits with room to breathe. It's a beautiful image. It's so true, so very true. Jesus is giving us the big rocks, little rocks talk in Luke 14, isn't he? Here's the struggle that many a person has faced. How do we get from here to there? How do we get from the jar with no room to the one that has room to spare? Well, it would seem that we have to dump dump the jar out to get there, wouldn't it? We have to dump the jar out, and that that is terrifying. It is absolutely terrifying. It is truly a dramatic reordering of life. That's what we're talking about. Over the last five weeks, you've probably noticed that the gospel invites us over and over again into a dramatic reordering of life. Living a cross-shaped life means living a life ordered around the person and work of Jesus. Here in Luke 14, Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. We know what's coming. Tough times, hard work, suffering, death on a cross, and then, of course, resurrection. Large crowds have joined with him on this journey. He is compelled, I think, from a place of compassion to to, uh, make sure they understand what they're getting into. This journey of discipleship is not to be taken lightly, not for them and not for us either. Verse 26, though, did you hear verse 26? It's very striking. He says, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, and even life itself cannot, cannot be my disciple. Uh, These are tough words and easily misunderstood. What it is is a good old Jewish hyperbole or a gross exaggeration to prove a point. The Greek word there is misio or miseo. It really means... Uh, it means that in the case of a conflict, the demands of discipleship must take precedence over even these most sacred of human relationships. It does not mean anger or hostility or neglect toward your most sacred human relationships. It just means Jesus has to take precedence over even those relationships. In the earliest moments of the church, back when Luke was writing this, There were disciples who had non-believing spouses, and those spouses oftentimes divorced them because they went on these urgent mission trips to be about the work of Jesus. 
remember that back then everybody thought Jesus was going to come right back. And so these folks had to choose, do I follow the call of God or do I keep the peace at home? Thank goodness few of us have to make these choices. But sometimes, sometimes we do have to make these kinds of choices. Verse 27, we have this cross-bearing. Certainly it is an allusion to the cross of Jesus and an image that all these early Christians would have understood uh, deeply. Back then, you couldn't throw a rock and not hit somebody being crucified or being on the way to get crucified, and they nearly always had to carry their own cross to the site of their crucifixion. It is one of the most difficult parts of living a cross-shaped life. The gospel, as beautiful as it is, requires us to embrace suffering with others as part and parcel of a life of righteousness. We are all called to do the thing which God in Jesus did, which is to take on suffering, to take it on as an expression of God's saving love. In time, we know all suffering will be ended. Every tear will be wiped away. But until then, don't forget that you and I, you and I walk with a cross on our backs. We get to show the self-sacrificial love of God turned loose on the world. But it is hard work, and it takes time, prayer, and a willing spirit. None of us gets a cross, gets a pass on cross-bearing. The third of the big rocks, which Jesus' names shows up in verse 33. Michael helped us with this so much. So then, Jesus says, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up your trumpet. No, do, you, do not give up all your possessions. Jesus is uh, hollering ahead to chapter 18 to the rich young ruler when he said, you remember this, when he said, sell all you have, give the money to the poor, come and follow me. It is a hard word in our day and time a time when our stuff gives us a sense of accomplishment and security, of status and power. Give it all up? Yes. Or at least give up the unbiblical relationship that many of us have with our stuff. Our possessions can never stand in the way of God or the work of God in the world to have payments on toys that keep us from being generous to live in a world of fear and anxiety because I'm always afraid my financial house of cards is going to come crashing down at any time. That kind of living makes true discipleship really hard. And yet our culture celebrates that kind of living. It's one of the many places where the gospel is so at odds with our modern way of life. Jesus says, you have to make a choice, people. You have to decide you can't have it both ways. Get the big rocks in first. Now, sandwiched between verse 28 and verse 33 are two parables. The one about building a tower without counting the cost, and the other about waging war without some honest self-reflection about your capabilities. Jesus is inviting us to think carefully about the cost of discipleship, to realize that the dramatic reordering of life which the gospel requires of each of us is significant. It is not offered to scare us away or to make it sound impossible. Jesus is just telling the truth about what's required. 
and the beautiful work that comes when we open our hearts to this reordering of life around Jesus. There is a cautionary tale here, though. It is the utter disaster that can come when we try to live as a disciple of Jesus without this reordering of life around Jesus and around the gospel. When we do that, what God intends as a gift of grace becomes hard labor. It becomes a prison of guilt and shame, an endless toil that leaves us empty and even more broken than we were before to try and live the gospel with only partial commitment without the big rocks going in first. Why, that is the real trap that costs you everything. I am learning that this work is a daily work, a daily work of choosing to live in the right direction, of allowing the grace of God to reorder our lives, to let the Spirit empty us out so that these big rocks can be put in first. It's not quite so terrifying when it happens every morning. There's something I've been using for, for years it has meant a great deal to me, and when I get it right, it means a lot, and even when I mess it up, it still means a lot. It's a really a simple prayer. It's based on number 607 in the, in the United Methodist Hymnal, which is a covenant prayer in the Wesleyan tradition. For me, it is uh, this jar emptying that begins every morning, usually somewhere between uh, the bed and the coffee maker. I want to give you a copy uh, and talk through it with you. You can combine with this with the way of a disciple and maybe find some synergy, but let's get our prayer out. It's in your up and coming. It's this little card here. If you need one, just lift a hand and uh, someone will bring it to you. We need one up here. If we could get one. Uh, Zach, Sally, yeah, one up here. And uh, one over here in the side, uh, this side, my right side. As they're bringing those around, I want to kind of talk through this with you. It starts out, loving God whom we meet in Jesus. Loving God whom we meet in Jesus. Getting real clear who we're talking to there. I am no longer my own, but yours. What a way to start a prayer. I am no longer my own, but yours. We say that to God, the God we know in Jesus. Then we say, put me to what you will and place me with whom you will. That's a risky prayer, isn't it? How many of us start our day with a review of the to-do list, my to-do list, not God's to-do list? I want to get my stuff done first, and maybe there's a little room for God's stuff uh, later on, but we'll start with mine. This prayer says, no, let's start with, uh, put me to what you will, O God, place me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. We hear Luke 14, Jesus' words there again. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you. That's the scariest part for me. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you. I don't want to be set aside. I live in fear of being set aside. But sometimes, sometimes the Lord does indeed set us aside for a day, for a season, for Sabbath. That's what that's about. Let me be praised for you or criticized for you. That's Matthew 5. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. Matthew 6, very scary words. Let me have all things. We like that. We could stop there, but we don't. We go on to say, let me have nothing. This really is about whatever God wants for our lives. 
I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and your service. That's Luke 21. We'll hear that in a few weeks. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. In the name of Jesus, amen. That prayer, uh, that prayer gets way down deep inside of us if we use it day to day to day to day. It is a helpful tool to put us in the right frame of mind and to help us remember how we fit into the work that God is doing in the world in Jesus, loving the world back to life one heart at a time. I am learning still that the hardest thing about getting the big rocks of life in the jar first really is emptying the jar, which seems an impossible task. I keep thinking that this has to be some once-in-a-lifetime explosive moment where everything is just blown up and I start completely over, this time trying not to mess it up. I wouldn't even know how to start that. Would you? How in the world would you start dumping the jar out like that? But the Lord is teaching me it actually is a a once-a-day kind of a thing. By God's grace and through the work of the Spirit, the big rocks take their places, and everything else takes its proper place too. My job, your job, is to present ourselves daily to the Lord, empty and willing. Perhaps that is something we can do together from now on. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, may the people of God say, Amen.